Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. I've been thinking about that prayer that I prayed last week over you. I pray that you had just a fantastic Thanksgiving holiday, not because it's a holiday, but it's a holiday where we have an opportunity to thank God for all the many blessings that He has bestowed on us, and I hope that you had a great time. I hope that you're able to take a breath today and that you're able to ready yourself for this new week that's coming up. And um, I, I know that we had a great Thanksgiving. I'm so thankful, so blessed to have uh, a family that works hard to maintain relationship. That is something that, that I'm very grateful for. Um, I'd like to think of myself uh, as someone that is thick-skinned, um, I think that it's great that my wife isn't in this service, so she's not here to argue with that statement. But I'd like to think of myself as someone that is thick-skinned. But I remember a number of years ago, and it was at a Thanksgiving gathering, and someone said something to me that was so hurtful that I debated and I even brought it up to my wife, I think we should leave. It hurt that bad. And like I said, I, I, I like to think of myself as someone who's thick-skinned. But words have the ability to hurt. They can produce pain in our lives. We've all heard the adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I think we changed that when I was a kid to names, because names are simply the words that hurt the most as a child. That was written in the 1860s. Words hurt. I think the past few years, the past couple, two and a half years, it's been some of the, the most hurtful time in many of our lives. And, and I would even say, as a nation, I can go back just two or three years to seeing athletes begin to kneel during the national anthem rather than to stand, and the discussion that took place after that was hurtful. Then we come to COVID and the shutdown. And what does your governor say and what does our governor say and taking a position on things and how that was so hurtful to many. Then there was the racial unrest that happened particularly in Minneapolis, because that's a town that I've lived in for a number of years while I went to school. The unrest there in Minneapolis destroyed over 700 buildings, just a few blocks from where I lived as a young married student on 28th and Pillsbury on Lake Street was where that really hit. Then there were masks or no masks, vaccines or no vaccines, and it seemed like 
many people felt like you, had, you just had to have an opinion. And depending on what your opinion was, that would really determine of where, about where we would be personally on a relational level. There's a British author that said this. His name was Stephen Fry. He said this, mental wounds can grind and ooze for decades and be reopened, look at this, by the quietest whisper. Our words. Our words. Words that are spoken in anger hurt. So the series we've been looking at first responders, we've been looking at our initial responses to those things. How do we respond to those words that hurt so much? That quote that I alluded to that we all said when we were kids, sticks and stones, that really got me thinking. And I, I began to look through the scripture and look at a number of different instances where stones are used. So let's take a look at those this morning. The first one is this, stone number one is the stone of conviction. Paul and Barnabas, they're preaching in a city known as Iconium. And lots of Jews and Greeks are accepting the message that they're preaching. You say, well, what was the message that they were preaching? That Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Son of God, he's the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And lots of people in that city are becoming believers. They're accepting that message. And Paul and Barnabas are, are, they are through the power of the Holy Spirit. They are performing, the Bible says, many signs and wonders. There are miraculous things happening in that city associated with their ministry. And as this great revival is taking place, they uncover a plot, a plot to stone them, to take the lives of Paul and Barnabas. Stoning is public execution. It's capital punishment, but without a judge, without a, a jury. It's done by the mob, by the crowd. And it was extremely popular in the day because I'm sure that the Romans kept a very tight, tight rein on, on the kinds of weapons that... that uh, People in, in uh, Judea and Jerusalem could have at their disposal, but rocks were everywhere. It's just the, the, the landscape. It's just what it is. It's all rock. And so that weapon was just right at hand. It was right there. It was accessible everywhere. But it wasn't just capital punishment. It was a, also a means of, of expressing extreme anger and even hatred. Paul and Barnabas, they decide it would really ultimately be best for them to move to another city. And so that's what they did. And then we read in Acts chapter 14, verse 19, it says, then some Jews came from Antioch, which is where they were before Iconium, and Iconium, and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. So why did they 
devised this plot? Why did they come up with this idea to stone Paul? Why would they take the time to follow Paul from Antioch to Iconium and from Iconium to where he was next? Why would they take the time to do that? Why would they stone him? What did Paul say that angered them so much? You see, these people rejected the message of the gospel. Paul was preaching Christ and him crucified, and they rejected that message. But look at how Paul responded to this treatment. And, and if you've never thought about it before, years ago, I, I took a group of teenagers and I put them in a circle and I put one kid in the middle and I, I, I gave them paper and I said, wad this paper up. And, and we had a mock stoning. And you think about what stoning, the death of stoning would be like. How did Paul respond to this treatment of, of literally them attempting to execute him? Look at verses 20 and 21 of Acts 14. But after the disciples had gathered around him, they got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. So Paul's response to this, it wasn't just hurtful. It just wasn't offensive. It was attempted murder on his life. And his response was to continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did not allow offendedness. He did not allow bitterness to stop him from what he was called to do. You know, he could have become offended. He could have said, I quit. I'm tired I'm tired. I have preached the gospel. I have put myself on the line, and this is how I'm treated for sharing the gospel. He didn't do that. He didn't say that. In fact, you know what he did do? He actually bragged about how he was treated. This guy's crazy. Maybe that's why I like him so much. He is just flat out crazy. He said, I was in, I've been imprisoned, I've been flogged, I've been beaten, I've been stoned, I've been constantly in danger, I've been hungry, I've been naked, I've been cold. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, the second half, he said, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. He's actually saying that he's bragging about these things. He's bragging about the fact that he was treated this way. My question is, how would you and I respond? Would we respond like Paul? Where we would say, you know what, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep preaching the message of the cross. I'm going to keep preaching Jesus. Or would we say, you know what, that hurt my feelings. So I'm going to withdraw from my purpose. I'm going to withdraw from what God has given me to do. And I'm going to be offended. I'm going to quit. The Apostle Paul was unoffendable. Unoffendable. Jesus in Matthew chapter 18, he, he gives us some instruction on what we can do when someone offends us, 
when someone hurts us, when someone does something that really causes us pain. He says this in Matthew 18, 15. He said, if your brother or sister sins, and and the, the King James says it better against you. So when your brother or your sister sins against you, when they hurt you, when they offend you, he doesn't say, be offended. He doesn't say quit. He doesn't say walk away. He says, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Friends, people are going to reject our message. And I'm not just talking about the message of the gospel, but sometimes people will just reject us. Not every relationship goes the way we want it to go. How will we respond when people throw stones and they're going to throw stones? Stone number two is a stone of indignation. After Jesus' ascension into heaven, the church is growing incredibly Jews are mad because so many of their their fellow Jews are accepting this message that Jesus is the Messiah. It's a very cantankerous atmosphere, and they begin arguing with Jesus' followers. One in particular was a man named Stephen. And they were arguing with him, and try as they might, they could not stand up under the power of the Holy Spirit that God through his Holy Spirit was pouring out on Stephen's life and the truth that he was speaking. They were convincing others to lie. They were convincing others to make false claims against Stephen. They were accusing him of blaspheming God and Moses. And Stephen, what he had said to them was simply this, you crucified the righteous one. You killed the Messiah. And those words cut them in two. They were so deep. In fact, the Bible says that they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. Their rage, their fury was just out of control. And and these words that Stephen spoke, they, they knew that they were true, but they were so angry they couldn't speak. They could only let out guttural sounds. And we read in Acts chapter 7, starting at verse 57, At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Ellicott describes this as brute passion. They believed that they were right. They became like angry beasts. They grabbed the only weapon that was nearby. They picked up rocks and they began to stone him. This was a violent mob executing frontier justice. Their beliefs were deeply offended. Beliefs that they had held their entire lives. So let's look at how Stephen responded. In Acts chapter 7, verse 59, it said, while they were stoning him, 
They're in the act of chucking rocks at his head. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen responded to them stoning him by praying for their forgiveness. What an incredible response. He prayed that God would forgive them. He indeed forgave them. James chapter 1 and verse 19, James says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That word angry, it means violent passion. And that passion is often directed at those who have a different opinion from us. He says that we need to become slow, to become heated by debate in our lives. So how do we respond to the anger of others? How did Stephen respond? Stephen responded by being unoffendable. Stephen could have said, I don't want God to forgive these people. I want them to go to hell. How many times have we heard those words in the midst of a heated argument? You can just go to hell. Stephen had the perfect opportunity, and yet he said, God, do not hold this sin against them. He was unoffendable. Stone number three is the stone of condemnation. The Pharisees had resorted to trying to trap Jesus. And while he was teaching in the temple in Jerusalem, they brought a case for him to try. They brought someone before him and they wanted him to judge this case. This was a trap. The person that they brought before him was a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery, the Bible tells us. This was a live kangaroo court and, and, and life and death hung in the balance. John chapter 8, we read about it in verses 4 and 5. It says, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Do you see how they were trying to trap Jesus here using the law? Because if Jesus said something other than do what the law said, they would say, hey, this guy does not believe or support the law of Moses. They were trying to trap him. I think it's interesting here that they brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. If a woman is caught in the act of adultery, wouldn't it also go to just make sense that a man is caught as well? It makes sense to me. In fact, the law says 
The law says that man or woman caught in the act of adultery should be stoned. And so they are actually being dishonest as they are setting this whole thing up. They didn't bring the guy along. They just brought the woman along. Jesus sees that hypocrisy. And Jesus is asked to condemn her. John chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, it says, When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And he stooped down and wrote on the ground. These stones that we're talking about in John chapter 8, they are not figurative stones. They are literal stones. They are rocks. In fact, the law prescribed the size of rock that you should use because they wanted it to be large enough to actually kill somebody, but not so large that it would kill them on the first strike. And so they were, they, they were standing there with rocks in hand. Literal rocks, not figurative ones. Do you remember the saying that says people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones? Have you ever heard that before? It first appeared in a poem by Geoffrey Chaucer in 1385. So it's been around for a while. When we're tempted to throw stones, you and I need to remember that we are also guilty. When we're tempted to throw those stones, we need to remember that we are also guilty. And that day, those Pharisees, all they could do is leave drop their stones and go away without saying even a word. Look at verses 10 and 11. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? No one has condemned you. Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Jesus spoke life over her rather than condemnation. She was caught dead to rights. There was no question of whether or not she was guilty. She was guilty. Even though they had gone about this in a nefarious way, they were dishonest in the fact that the man was not there, but she was caught dead to rights nonetheless. We can be tempted at times, to stand in judgment. When someone does wrong, we can condemn. We can be guilty of grabbing the nearest rock and hurling it in their direction because they did wrong. They were caught in the act. Jesus had every right to judge her, and yet he didn't. And when we judge others, we actually justify our own sin because we are guilty ourselves. Let he who cast the first stone, let, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. We're guilty and we're reminded of that. 
The Bible tells us that to break part of the law is to break the entire law. So it doesn't do any good for us to say, yeah, but I'm not nearly as bad as they are. Therefore, I'm okay to judge them. When we break one part of the law, we've broken it all. And we're all in need of grace. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, it says, And in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. And then verse 32 tells us how we should respond. Be be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. That word foothold, it means place or room, or it's an opportunity. We should not give the devil an opportunity to act in us or to act through us. We should not give the devil room to work against us. We should not give him access to our families, our marriages, our kids, our church family, our jobs. We should not hold on to our anger. We should not nurture offendedness in our hearts. Or rehearse those hurts. I don't want to just gloss over that. Because I know as a young person, I eventually discovered that I was guilty of making up hurts that hadn't even happened. So to rehearse a hurt that has happened is not a far fetch. It's easy to understand that we could do that. The day that we're hurt should be the day that we're healed from that hurt. When we're tempted to defend our anger, we say, they hurt me, my anger is righteous, and we become one of those Pharisees that has picked up a stone. Or maybe we're the ones that the stones are being thrown at. I love what David said in Psalm 139, and I think this is for every one of us. Verses 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'll never forget a situation in my life that happened 20-some years ago. There was a, a couple people that struggled with me. They didn't want me in the position that I was in. And I remember praying and saying, God, change them. Or change me. But change somebody. And that may have been one of the most powerful prayers I've ever prayed in my life. I didn't pick up a stone. And I didn't allow my offendedness to cause me to give up and quit. But I simply said, God, change them or change me. But change someone. You say, why 
do we need to forgive? Why do we need to be unoffendable? I'll tell you why. And I close with this. And we're just gonna, we're just gonna uh, end quietly here today. But here's, here's why. The scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 15 that if we do not forgive others their sins, our Father will not forgive our sins. Why should we be unoffendable? There it is. Because when we're offended, It doesn't just stay right there. It sits and it rots away. And from offended, we become bitter and angry and unforgiving. Jesus said, if we can't forgive, our Heavenly Father will not forgive us. I just want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we conclude this service today. I've really, I've really thought of different ways that we could end this service and didn't make up my mind until the very last moment about how we would actually do it. But I just want to have a sense of deep honor and respect. But if you're struggling today, Maybe you're the one throwing the stones or maybe you're the one who the stones are being thrown at. But you realize that you need to pray a prayer like I prayed. God, change them or change me. And you realize your need for that type of prayer today. I want to pray for you as we close our service. If that's you, I just want you to take a second and slip your hand up so that I can know that you're responding to the Holy Spirit today. Yes, 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 yes. There's hands all over this room. Yes. Come on, let's all stand. Let's all stand as we close in prayer together. God, I'm so grateful for your Holy Spirit that weeks ago, you put this message on my heart. And Father, it's obvious today that your Holy Spirit is working, is touching something. And Lord, I pray today as we leave this place that we will be able to embrace that prayer. God, change them or change me, but change someone. I'm going to invite every single person in this place to pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today realizing that sometimes I'm picking the rocks up and sometimes I'm being hit by the rocks. And it hurts. Sometimes it hurts others, and sometimes it hurts me. And I acknowledge that someone needs to change. 
and I acknowledge that I can't change on my own. I've been offended and I've offended others. Father, today, I pray, change them or change me, but change someone. Father, I thank you for that prayer. I thank you that even now there are miracles that are taking place. And I've experienced those miracles before. When I allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in my heart, then to feel the burden, the weight of that lifted from my shoulders. Someone here today is going to feel that weight of unforgiveness fall from their shoulders. And God, I believe that that is deliverance from your Holy Spirit. Father, your word says that if we do not forgive, that you do not forgive us. And God, we need your forgiveness because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Father, we thank you today for what you're doing in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. It has been great to be with you today. Thank you for allowing me to share this word that God has given me. I pray God's blessing on you. Have a great Sabbath day. Amen.